There we are. We're going to go to Acts 4. We're going to be in Acts 4 and Acts 5. I just couldn't get away from Acts 4. Did anybody else, uh, after reading that, and, and don't say if there's no one else, because I just feel like there's more, but don't disappoint me. Um, in Acts 4, I just couldn't get away from really just two pieces of that that I wanted us to go back over. I'm not going to reteach it, but just for us to uh, to sit in again. If you're like me, um, I, I have to stay in a passage for more than uh, a half hour or however long it is we'll spend in here. I've got to stay there for longer than that, uh, or, or it's just something that lands intellectually, and then I kind of can forget about it. Does anybody else struggle with that sometimes? Yeah, it, we, again, I think part of this is our, we just are around a lot of information. I mean, you're going to go from one message to another. That's, we're, we're probably, I mean, that's probably tough anyway, um, but uh, if, if we don't, that's why we have to encounter the Spirit of the Lord, because if we don't encounter the Spirit of the Lord as we engage the Word, then all it's going to be is we may learn a few trinkets uh, and then leave, and most of us will probably forget those trinkets anyway. But if we're asking God for life change, then we've got to encounter Him the way He was intended, which is by the Spirit of God, right? If this stuff's going to really land, we've got to engage the Spirit of the Lord in order to draw out the meanings of this passage and for it to actually take place in our lives, not if you understand. There we go. Nod if you're ready to go in Acts 4. All right. How about just everybody nod? Okay, there we go. The bobblehead class. All right. So Acts 4, I just wanted to look at a couple of things again. Go to verse 13. It says, now when they saw, remember they, Peter uh, was taken before the, uh, Peter and John were taken before this high council. And, and so it's describing the impression that this high council had of them. It said when they saw the, what? Read that with me. They saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished. And then what? And they recognized that they had been with whom? Jesus. See, that's what's cool about this passage is that these were, uh, these were just normal guys. And I told you last week, and I, and I want to reiterate it, that, that this should encourage all of us, right? I know of just a few celebrities in this room, so... Um, if you're not one of those, then you're just like me and you're, you're common. And that should encourage us that with great boldness, these common men uh, approached the throne. Some of you need to like drain the ego. I was not, there's no celebrities in this room. Some of you are like sitting up a little straighter. <laughs> like, He's talking about me. <laughs> Mainly it was this group right here that was sitting up a little straighter. <laughs> They're all looking down. Okay, so... <laughs> So right, so we're encouraged, but here's the deal. This wasn't a common group of men acting like common men. You see what I'm saying? We're encouraged that they were common men, but they had this really uncommon love and devotion for Jesus. They were absolutely radical in the way that they had given themselves to Jesus. And because of that, right, and because of being full of the Holy Spirit, what did they notice about them? That they had tremendous boldness. They had tremendous boldness, and they had been marked by being with Jesus. See, that's what we want. We want to, it's okay, God, you've made us common men, but in an uncommon way, God, may we burn for you, that we might speak your name with boldness, and that we might be perceived as people who have not just heard about Jesus, but have been with Jesus. Could that be said about you? Could, the, could that be said about you that, that, that the boldness that appears in your life is evidence of the fact that, again, not that you've been to Sunday school, not that you've heard a preacher preach, not that you've heard your friend talk about Jesus, but that you yourself had actually encountered Jesus, right? Come on. 
And that's what I want for us, that we would be people who are recognized by our boldness because we have been with Jesus. It's not a secondhand account, man. I know him, right? I know him. And then look at verse 19. And because they'd been with Jesus, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than uh, to God, you must judge. But we cannot speak, uh, sorry, for we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. These were common men that in an uncommon way were radically given to Jesus in boldness and were compelled to speak about that encounter. So the first question of accountability for us is, have you been with Jesus or have you just been to church? And if you have been to Jesus, have you been with him in such a way that you're compelled to speak about what you have seen and heard? You know what that word compelled means? Anybody ever been compelled to do something? It's like you're so drawn to it that you can't help. You can't help but doing it. Let me tell you a story for me. I, I saw a YouTube video. Uh, YouTube is so, so dangerous. Uh, but I saw, uh, I saw a YouTube video not too long ago, and these guys were, uh, uh, and I love to water ski. I love to slalom water ski. And, and they were uh, skiing barefoot behind an airplane. I'm tell, uh, yeah, who said, I'm, that's what I said. Come on. <laughs> like, I watched that video probably a dozen times. I've shown it to some of you, and I told my wife, I said, I'm doing that. <laughs> it was unbelievable. I'm not going to see. I, it obviously captured my heart, right? They were skiing. I mean, they were, they were flying just on their, on their bare feet across the water. But here's what had happened. In my heart, and it was in a fleshly way, but it was, it was compelling to me. I was drawn to it because it's stupid. Like, I'm going to hurt myself badly doing this. But it, but it compelled me. So here's what happened to these guys. They, were, they had had this encounter with Jesus, and something compelled them to speak about it. Man, I'm telling you, I think sometimes we just know him in a very superficial way. Like we know, again, if this is you, if you haven't encountered the person of Jesus in salvation or afterwards, uh, let me tell you, you're missing a great thing uh, because the information about Jesus is pretty lame compared to an encounter with the person of Jesus. And I think a lot of times that's what we do, man. We come to church, we've got information about Jesus, and we're, we, we have facts about Jesus, but we haven't met him, and so we're not compelled to tell about the interaction that we've had with him. Let me tell you, you cannot tell somebody about the interaction you've had with him unless you've interacted with him. And they all said, amen. There it is, okay. Or just three of them said it. There we go, we're working on it. Right? Not if you understand what I'm saying. So there's this compelling nature to an encounter with Jesus. And that's what these guys were experiencing. So that's chapter 4, for the most part, talking about Peter and John. The rest of this community was wrapped up in this encounter. They were wrapped up and encountering Jesus in the same way. And here's what it says in verse 32 of chapter 4 again. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of how many? One heart and soul, and no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had what? Some things or everything? Everything. They had everything in common, and with great what? Power. Are we describing church? We should be. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them 
and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, whoa, is anybody just blown away by that passage? Is anybody else just blown away by the unity and the closeness uh, and, and the lack of selfishness in that group? Not if you're blown away. All right, we're just going to nod today. We're going to practice our nods. And it's unbelievable, unbelievable outpouring of God in this, in this community, right? And this is authentic. I mean, just kind of just put yourself there and imagine the momentum that's beginning to build. And here's the deal. This, all this momentum is building amidst tremendous persecution. It's not building because it's safe for them. It's building because the Spirit of the Lord has got a hold of people, and they're compelled and speaking with boldness and with power and with authority, right? That's why they're flourishing because of the Spirit of God and their givenness to Him, Right? And so what we're going to read in chapter 5, and I'm going to just warn you, okay? This is a tough passage. And I've seen something, and you're going to go, wow, what you've seen is really simple. Kendall, you must not have read it before. I've read it before, and whatever, for whatever reason, the simplicity of what showed up this last week in this passage, I've never seen before. So I just want to bring you in on that. Uh, and I think it's because of the connection between chapter 4 and chapter 5. So, uh, but it's going to be, I'm going to push you a little bit. And here's what I want to warn you against. Anytime you hear one of these words, it's going to, it's going to be uh, tougher. It's going, to, it's going to require you to focus inward a little bit. Here's what I want to just tell you. A lot of times we, when we do that, we, when we're talking about conviction of sin, when we're talking about examining ourselves, a lot of times when we do that, we attempt to do it on our own. Anybody ever been guilty of this? This is like the thing that the Lord has to keep me from. I am, I am very prone to doing this. But I try to examine myself and find what's wrong with me. Anybody know that's impossible? I can't see my heart. I can't see to the depths of my being. There's only one who can do that, and that's the Lord. And he's given his Holy Spirit for that purpose, that in me the Holy Spirit might be the one who is sanctifying me to make me look like Jesus. What that word sanctifying means is he's taking away the things that aren't Jesus and adding the things that are that I might look like Jesus. But most of the time we, we use this thing called guilt and we try to sanctify ourselves. So I just want to tell you right now before I even begin, because I'm going to ask you some things that you need to examine, and you do, we do, we need to examine ourselves often, but don't go on this journey absent the Holy Spirit, or you're going to end up trying to do the job of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to do a bad job. And what you're going to end up doing is you're going to end up just modifying your behavior uh, and, and just creating a, a system instead of obedience to the Holy Spirit, and it's not going to last. Whatever you're going to do in your life is not going to last. Whatever He does in us lasts forever. You with me? Can we all agree right now, before I even start, that we are going to go on this journey with the Holy Spirit? And guess what we're going to do? We're going to nod by agreeing. Amen. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So I'm just going to push a little bit. So we're going to read about this guy. You guys have probably all heard this story. But it's this guy, uh, Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. Let's, we'll just read it, and then I'm going to uh, ask you some questions. So, but a man named Ananias, this is chapter 5, verse 1 of Acts, with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. So first off, does that sound familiar to anybody? What did we just read? 
like a detailed account of the very same thing, right? So they sell a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, now check out the detail, okay? So in chapter 4, verse 37, what did this guy, uh, what did this uh, Joseph, this Barnabas guy do? He sold a field. He took the proceeds and in some uh, fashion, it says he, he came in and he laid the proceeds where? At the apostles' feet. You're talking about, for Ananias, so far, an exact duplication of what we've just seen. And I believe, I really, really, really believe it's why we get such detail in chapter 4 about this other guy. Because earlier it just says that lots of people were selling stuff and people had things in common. But this one particular guy sold a field, brought the proceeds, and distributed it, or I'm sorry, and put it at the apostles' feet. Then you have Ananias and Sapphira, and they do the same thing, except they agree together to keep some of the proceeds, uh, proceeds back. So he lays it at the, at the apostles' feet. Listen to the discernment of Peter. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? He says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not of your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart, you have not lied to man, but to God. And listen to this. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. That's Greek for he died. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose up, wrapped him, and carried him out uh, and buried him. This is standard burial practice, man. When you, when you die, the funeral's right then, Okay. So here's the deal. We read this account with Ananias and Sapphira, and we're going to read about her. She wasn't, she wasn't there um, and, and in that situation. She was away, but they'd agreed together. Ananias comes, lays it at the apostles' feet, and Peter asks him these driving questions, right? And the first one he, sa- he says, uh, sorry, I lost my spot. Uh, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself the proceeds of the land? Man, check out the discernment of Peter. Dude, I mean, I, I, how, how difficult would that be? Somebody goes and places, uh, I mean, wealth at your feet. How many of us would go, great, thanks, don't really care how you did it, right? Right? Peter didn't want that. Peter didn't want to have anything to do with that which has not been uh, given by God. And so he asks him this question, why has Satan filled your heart? And then listen to these two questions, okay? He says, so while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? He asks Ananias, man, while you own this field, was it not yours? I mean, you didn't, you didn't, have, to, you didn't have to sell it. And then he asks him the next question, and then after you sold it, right, He says the proceeds were all yours. So even if you wanted to sell it and you did, that money was still all of yours. And it goes back to that first question. Why is it that you've listened to the enemy and that you've allowed the enemy to twist and distort your heart to where you would lie twice, right? And then bring this to my feet as if it were an authentic outpouring of God in your heart. And upon hearing these words, it doesn't say that God killed Ananias. Man, I don't know how it, uh, look, maybe so. I, it, doesn't, it doesn't say. But it said he breathed 
his last. Man, upon that news, uh, he breathed his last. And so here's what I want to do. I want to go through these questions. Because for maybe, for, I think really for the first time, like I told you, I've always read chapter 5 as chapter 5, and, and I've, I've never seen, and you're going, whoa, duh. I mean, I've never seen the comparison that happens with chapter 4. Like, it's crazy because it's, it's the last thing that chapter 4 says, but I've missed it for years and years and years. I've missed it that he tries to duplicate uh, the very thing that was authentic for Barnabas, Right? Ananias comes in and tries to duplicate the very thing that was authentic for Barnabas. And so here's what Peter says. He says, why have you uh, believed Satan, essentially? He says, Satan filled your, filled your heart. He says, was it not yours and were the funds not yours? So what happened? We know that with Peter's discernment, we know that there was an, there was an interaction between the enemy and Ananias. That The enemy spoke uh, a question or questions to Ananias that drew him into, uh, into this lie. And, and how, did it, how does the enemy work like that? How does he do it? Well, he appeals to our what? Our flesh. He appeals to our flesh. And notice that the enemy does this in Ananias um, uh, in the middle of a great move of authentic outpouring of God. Okay, listen, this is happening in the middle of some really real and authentic things happening by the power of the Lord. And the enemy comes to Ananias and to appeal to his flesh, he says, look at all of what's happening around you. Look at, the, look at this great outpouring of God. Do you want that for yourself? Sound familiar? Right? It's the, it's the same way that the enemy tempted Adam and Eve. It's the same way that the enemy tempted Jesus in his 40 days. It's the same way that the enemy even was deceived by himself uh, when he began to look at his own beauty in heaven and he was cast to the ground. And the way he does it, James 1 tells us, I think it's verse 13, but James 1 tells us that he, uh, he appeals to our flesh by, by uh, tempting us with the things, temptation comes with the things that we want. What did, he, what did he tempt Ananias with? Right? What did he offer Ananias? He offered Ananias the benefit, right, of being part of this community, the benefit of inclusion, and the attention that would come by him laying this, this finance at the apostles' feet, absent obedience to the Holy Spirit. Absent God, you can be spiritually recognized. Absent God, you can have this spiritual moment that in a sense what he could do is that you can manipulate creation to glorify you, absent God. Let me just tell you that creation will only, only glorify God. It was all it was created for was to glorify God. And what the enemy tempted Ananias to do is you can twist and distort this finance to make you look good. Ananias believed him. Believed him to the point that he convinced his wife. It's the other way around as with Adam and Eve. But let me tell you, compromise always comes in twos or more. Compromise always seeks, always seeks a partner. And so he tempted Ananias that creation could be manipulated to glorify us instead of God. Because at the core, what the enemy wants us to believe, this has been the lie from the beginning, is that we are equal with God. That's what the accusation is in, in the book of Ezekiel, that the enemy, when he, was, when he was an angel of light, that he beheld himself and he was consumed by his own beauty. And he said in his heart that I can be like the Most High. And upon that, he essentially called himself God and sin was birthed. Sin at its core 
is us being God. This is one of the things we teach in discipleship school. In fact, last Monday we went through this very thing that sin at its core is the declaration of us as God and us stepping on the throne where only he belongs. And that's what the enemy attempts to bring Ananias into. Sin is always, always, always the glorification of ourselves. But here's the deal. The thing that Ananias was going for, though it looked like it would be authentic, and he believed, I'm going to lay this money at the apostles' feet, and what did he think was going to happen? Think about it. What, I mean, think about the moment that was authentic. What probably, I mean, what is probably happening every time there's a need met, every time somebody gives something of themselves, uh, but prompted by the Spirit of the Lord and a need is met. I mean, there's great rejoicing. This is an incredibly joyful moment. Even though there's persecution, there's, there's probably praising and joy. And what did Ananias want? He wanted that same reaction. He wanted that same moment. He wanted to be in that spotlight of saying, look what I gave to the Lord. Well, let me just tell you, when you act to glorify you for the praise of men, it may happen, but it will always, always, always be temporary. And in Matthew 6, Jesus says some scary words. He says that if you perform before men, then you will gain your reward, but that will be all. Then essentially what's going to happen is man is going to do something like this. Anybody ever been a slave to that before? The applause of man. Great job. That was wonderful. You did great. The applause of man. And how long does it last? How long did it take? Great job to come out of my mouth. Man, just a second. How long did that applause last? Even the greatest applause you've ever heard in history, it is beginning and it will end. And Jesus says, if you uh, live your life to glorify you, for the applause of man, then you have your reward. Congratulations, it feels good for a moment, but it is over. We've been called into things eternal. We've been called to live with our eyes set on that which remains forever. And there is, I'm telling you, if we live our lives in obedience to the Spirit, then the reward we gain is that all that we gain, we get to one day cast at the feet of Jesus, and it will remain forever. Forever, we can praise him for that which he did in us, for the glory of God. It will remain forever. But that which you do to appeal to your friends, to appeal to your family for the applause of man, you have had your reward, and it is over. And it is empty. And you know what you will do? You will go back for it again and again and again, because that satisfaction which we gain from men does not last us, only that which comes from him. And Ananias was living for that praise of men. But I think what we see here that is even more concerning, and I believe that we see it in our day, is this temptation that the enemy gave for him to manufacture spirituality absent the Spirit of the Lord. This is what I want to push with a little bit, all right? So everybody just, it's only 10, there's only 10 minutes left, so we're only going to push for that long, so... I see this all the time and I, uh, with, with the people I interact with, and I see the temptation even in my own life to do this, but it's the attempt to manufacture genuine spirituality absent the Spirit of the Lord. It's a very flesh thing. It's to make myself look spiritual. How spiritual did Ananias look? 
How part of the team did he look? Peter saw through it and he said, man, why are you lying to the Lord? This isn't real. We don't want anything of it. But in Ananias' mind, right, I'm going to look spiritual and I don't have to be bought into this thing. That I can do this and gain the appraise of men. And here's just some practical ways that I see this play out in your generation uh, and with mine a bit as well. There's been an increase in our willingness to, to tell one another, man, I, the Lord said this. And I think sometimes that's genuine, okay? I think it's sometimes it's because we really believe that God has given us a word for somebody or prayer or scripture for somebody, and we don't really know how to introduce it. We're not really familiar with interacting with each other in that way. And so we get really nervous, and so we say, man, the Lord said for you to read Colossians 4, right? Ooh, man, let's be really, really, really careful where those words the Lord said come from. Again, I'm not saying that it doesn't sometimes come in a genuine way, but I believe sometimes it comes because of our uneasiness, because we go, "Uh, was that me? Was that my flesh? Or was that really the Lord? And I don't know if they're really going to believe me if, if, you know, with what I say. And so I say, man, the Lord said, and that, that adds for whatever reason, adds credibility. And it makes me sound pretty cool because the Lord's talking to me and he's clearly not talking to you. Right? Right? It's this, it can be, I'm just telling you, watch it. It can be this manufactured spirituality. And I'm not going to tell you don't ever say the Lord said because Scripture is littered with moments where they say the Lord said. But if you'll read those moments, they come after dramatic encounters with God. And I'm also not saying this so that you go, okay, I'm never going to tell anybody anything again because Kendall just freaked me out. Please don't do that. But, but will you, with humility, carry a word and go, man, as I was praying or uh, I, I was reading this scripture and I just, I believe this, your name came onto my heart and, and here it is. And you don't have to do it sheepishly. You can do it with boldness, but just don't add the Lord said just because you're nervous. Let me just tell you this. If the Lord really said it, when you say it, it's going to go off like a bomb in their heart. And they're not going to question, I wonder if that was Zach or not, because I don't know. It's going to explode in their heart, and they're going to know with a resounding yes that the Lord is the one that was behind that word. I had this experience at at World Mandate. Man, this, this young lady came to Lindsay and I, and she just said, she goes, I don't know, I had this dream. It was this crazy dream, um, and let me just tell you about it. You were in it, uh, and just really believe that the Lord, uh, that, that maybe the Lord was, was in it. And it was, she came with humility, did it the right way, didn't say, hey, the Lord said, do this. She didn't try to interpret what she saw. She just gave us what she believed in her heart was the Lord giving it to us. And, man, I want to just tell you that that morning and into those previous days, my wife and I had been praying for that answer. And when it came, and we didn't have to go, God, is that, is that this young lady talking? When it came, it came with the power and the authority that the word of the Lord comes with. Why? Because he's the one that birthed it in her heart. He's the one that gave the dream. He's the one that, that gave it. And she didn't have to worry about telling us what it meant because the Lord had already given that to our heart. We've been asking. Please, please, please do two things. Be bold when the Lord stirs your heart for another individual. But don't believe that you have to manufacture and twist the name of the Lord in order to gain credibility. The word in and of itself is enough credibility. Are you with me? 
We do that. We try to manufacture spirituality this way, okay? That, and that's not the worst. I don't see that all the time. I'm not, like, coming down on you. And I even went, Lord, please, I don't want to kill in them the desire to go and speak to one another, the desire to interact like that. So please, hear my heart. My desire is not to keep you from loving one another in that way, but my desire is for us just to not feel like we have to manufacture spirituality. Not if you agree. I spent way too long on that point. Okay. Here's the next one. Now, these next two are, uh, I think, are the ones we see the worst. Okay. That, that I can manufacture spirituality by what I do, my involvement, how visible I am. If I'm just at everything, if I just lead this, if I'll just pray out loud, if I'll just uh, do what I see the spiritual people doing, if I, if I can just make it on the platform, even if it's just for a brief, even if I can just do announcements, right? If I can just make it up here, uh, then, then that creates the, uh, the uh, uh, illusion of spirituality. And so I believe that what's, what I do uh, or who I am spiritually is given by what I do. And so I become a slave to what I do. This is one of the ones that we see the worst. When really what you do has no intimacy with Jesus behind it. It's just what you do because that's what you believe people are judging you on. Well, I want to tell you, you have no concern for what other people think of your spirituality. He said, Peter's question to Ananias was, why do you stand and lie before the Lord? I want to tell you, don't stand on this platform as an as a attempt to gain approval of man. It's the Lord that knows your heart. Don't lead a life group. Don't pray out loud. I mean, again, I don't, all of you just went, I'm never praying out loud again. That's not what I'm saying. But what you do, being authentic, is known before God and not before man. And the approval of your peers in terms of how spiritual you are uh, is the least of your concern if God sees and knows that you're authentic before him. You with me? Not if you're with me. Here's the last one. The last one is our expectation for some to be vulnerable and some to speak of their weaknesses and some to share their life um, in the context of community. Specifically, we see this play out in life group, but I don't have to. And I'm going to manufacture my standard, my spirituality, because I'm not going to admit my weakness, right? If, they, if no one ever knows that I struggle, then I don't struggle right? If no one ever knows, if people just think that because, man, in life group, they know all the Bible verses. In life group, they never said that they were struggling with this. When I was struggling, they never said that they struggled with that. They never, in fact, they never struggled with anything. And we control what other people know about us for the purpose of perception, right? Because to admit our weakness would mean somehow that they might view me differently. And I want to tell you that, that vulnerability is one of the, one of the uh, greatest evidences to authenticity. Because you know this, that you're, only, you're not just being vulnerable before your brothers and sisters. You're being vulnerable and honest before the Lord. And you trust that He will deal with that vulnerability and that authenticity rightly. And so you're not being more spiritual because you don't share anything. You're actually missing the greatest gift of community that God has given us in restoring one another and loving one another. 
Don't try to hide your weaknesses in life group. Don't think that people are going to think you're more spiritual because of what you don't share. But let me just tell you this. I think you will inspire people to greater depths with the Lord by what you do share and what you are willing to admit that you struggle with before the Lord. Do you guys understand what I'm saying at all? I'm telling you, so with, and you've got to control this, right? I'm not saying you go tell your deepest, darkest secrets at, to everybody that you can find, but, but some of the most powerful moments with the young men that I'm discipling have been when I've gone, guys, this is what I'm struggling with, not yesterday, but right now. Here's where the Lord is convicting me, right? Right, right now, just I'm having a conversation with some guys in the area of prayer and how the Lord is really stirring my heart to this area of prayer and how I lack in it sometimes. And sometimes when I do it, it's not really with the right heart, but God is really working on me in this area of prayer and faithful discipline in prayer. And what it's done is it's awakened some of their hearts to go, yeah, me too. And they haven't thought less of me. If anything else, we have drawn closer together. That authentic community is so necessary, but don't try to manufacture spirituality in front of them. Okay, here we go. In one minute, I'm going to explain the rest of chapter 5. You guys with me? So I pushed a little bit. In verse 7 through 11, the exact same thing happens with Sapphira, his wife. Remember it said that that she had agreed with him? She comes in, and Peter pretty much says, man, your husband is, uh, he has just been carried out by these young men, and you have come in and participated in the same exact lie. And there's the the phrase that says, misery seeks company, compromise seeks company. You'd be, if if you're in that moment where the Holy Spirit is convicting you of really just faking spirituality, I bet you you can find somebody real close to you. And I'm not saying you seek them out, but I bet you you can find somebody real close to you who's participating in the same game, who's encouraging, and who you might be leading into the same game. When that compromise hit his heart, he knew he couldn't stand authentic before the Lord, so he needed a man to stand with him. He needed a woman to stand with him, and so he sought out his wife, and he led her down an awful road that resulted in both of their deaths because he knew that he could not stand before the Lord, so he needed somebody to attest with him, and he brought her into the same lie. If you're not willing to be authentic before the Lord, chances are you are trying to draw somebody else into the same thing. That's why it's so deadly and so dangerous to try to fake this spirituality. All right. Man, I really want to talk about this other stuff. All right. (laughs) The music in church generally means that's your cue. (laughs) If you hadn't figured out our game yet, when Blake starts playing, that means... I'm just kidding. (laughs) All right, Lord, let's pray. (laughs) God, uh, we just ask that you, man, I I just thank you for humor first. God, just, man, thanks that some of these moments that, that are tough, man, you are with us in joy. And your desire is for us not to be condemned, not to be beaten down, but for us to to laugh and dance before you, even as you're transforming us in the hard things. And so we just, we praise you for that, God. We praise you that, that even when you're ripping and tearing things from us, that it's your kindness and your goodness that's doing it. And God, I just ask for me. 
And I pray that it's the same cry of every heart in this room. I just ask for me, God, that anywhere in my life where I'm attempting to manufacture spirituality, where I'm seeking to do what I do for the praise of men, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would make that known to me. You're the only one that can show me. I don't want to listen to man. I don't want to even listen to myself. Holy Spirit, I want you to show me where that's occurring in my life. I want you to show us where that's occurring because, God, our heart is to live authentic before you. And our heart is because of our authenticity before you, we're authentic with one another. And the outpouring that happens in this room happens as a result of us living authentic before you. God, we don't want to fake it. God, we don't want the applause of man. We don't want man to say, well done. God, we want you to say, well done. We don't want the rewards that come with being a celebrity on the earth, God, but we want to be known by you as those who were common men, but were bold and were faithful. God, we want to be known as people who were filled with the Spirit. We want to be known as people who walked in power and walked in authority. God, we do not want to be known on the earth. We want to be known by you. So God, make us aware of where our hearts have deceived us, where we have believed the lie of the enemy and where we have attempted to manufacture spirituality. And God, I pray that with humility, with great humility, we would come before your throne and we would confess our sin to one another that we might be healed. God, that we would repent and that we would walk in a new way. God, I ask that you would bring just a wave of repentance in this room. God, that we would, as you make things aware with us, that we would go and we would find trusted brothers and sisters and say, this is what it is. This is what God pointed out to me. This is what I'm repenting of. This is what I've been struggling with. Would you walk with me? I will not go down this road anymore. God, I pray that we would repent before God and that we would walk with one another in healing and in restoration, that we want to be authentic before you. And I pray that that would happen in our life groups, God, that we would not believe that we have to be manufactured, but that there would be an authentic, uh, or a breakthrough of authenticity in our community. And God, I ask for that in the name of Jesus. And all who agreed with what I just prayed said, Amen. You guys are dismissed, not released.